لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ There is no sin on you. أَن تَبْتَغُوا فَضْلًا مِّن رَبِّكُمْ That you seek the bounty of your Lord. Meaning, if you go for Hajj and you want to do some business there, you want to work there and make some money at Hajj, is there anything wrong in that? Nothing wrong in that. Like for example, a person says, I'm really strong. I can help people lift their luggage. Okay, I can push some wheelchairs and they'll pay me something. So I'll make some extra cash. Is there anything wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with that. Or a person says, I'm going for Hajj. And at Hajj, there are going to be so many people. I can make these really nice bags. Let me take some with me and sell them there and make some money. Can he do that? Yes, he can. As long as making money is not his main goal. His main goal should be to worship Allah. And if a side benefit is that he's getting paid for something, for some work, it's all good. And this is something that you can apply to everything in your life. Sometimes when you do something good, something religious, you're offered some money. Like for example, somebody tells you, you know how to recite Quran, can you please teach my daughter, can you please teach my son, I'll give you $10 an hour. And you're like, really? Can I do that? Can I do that? So what do we learn from this? You can do that, but you shouldn't be teaching Qur'an just so that you can make $10 an hour. Your main goal should be, I get to teach someone the book of Allah. So when they will read, they will worship Allah. And they will get reward, and I will also get reward. You understand? So anything religious you do, anything for the sake of Allah, your main goal should always be to get reward from who? From who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do it for the sake of Allah. And if on the side you make some money, you get some benefit, you get some privileges, worldly privileges, enjoy them. Because see, sometimes what people do is they say, you know what, my hajj guide, the guy who was there to help us out at hajj, made like $3,000. He made $5,000. That's not right. Well, no, he left his work, he left his home, even though he's done hajj, but he came along to help you do hajj. Shouldn't he be paid for that? So if he's getting paid for that, there's nothing wrong. You understand? So, لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَبْتَغُوا فَضْلًا مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَإِذَا أَفَضْتُ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ When you pour forth from عَرَفَات Have you heard of the word عَرَفَات? Have you heard of عَرَفَات? Day of عَرَفَات? Okay. The word أَفَضْتُمْ is from فَيَضَاد فَيض Faydan is basically the pouring of water. Okay? Like think of a fountain or a place that's filling up with water. Once it's filled up, what's that water going to do? It's going to start pouring out. Okay? So, أَفَضْتُمْ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ This is referring to the crowds of people leaving Arafat at Hajj. Okay? So when you leave Arafat in crowds of people, فَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ عِنْدَ الْمَشْعَدِ الْحَرَامِ Remember Allah near Mash'ad al-Haram. What is Mash'ad al-Haram? It is Muzdalifah. Have you heard of the term Muzdalifah? Right? It's another place. So remember Allah over there. وَذْكُرُوهُ كَمَا هَذَاكُمْ And you should remember Allah because He guided you. Or remember Him in the way that He guided you. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الضَّالِّينَ Certainly before this, you were astray. So Allah guided you. Now, how is Hajj supposed to be done? Very quickly, we'll go over this, pay a lot of attention to this. 
Okay? If you understand this, inshallah, it will be easy for you to understand the verses. There is basically four categories. The first day of Hajj is called Yawmut Tarwiyah. Make sure you get this table down in your notes. Yawmut Tarwiyah. This is the eighth of the Hijjah. And on this day, the people who are doing Hajj from Mecca, they go to Mina. Right? On the eighth of the Hijjah, what do the Hujjaj do? They go from Mecca to Mina. Where is Mina? Mina is the place with all those tents. Okay? Now, the next day is Yawmul Arafa, which is the ninth of the Hijjah. So what happens on ninth of the Hijjah? From Mina, the Hujjaj go to Arafat or Arafa. And what is Arafa? It's a plain, and there's also some mountains over there and people, they stand on the mountains or they stay on the plains. And what do they do at Arafat? Stand, make dua and dhikr. Alright? At the end of the day, Maghrib time. As soon as Maghrib comes in, people don't pray Maghrib. What do they do? They leave Arafat and they go to Muzdalifa. And Muzdalifa is where the Hujjad spend the night. And how do they sleep? Under the stars. There is no tents there. So that is Muzdalifa. They spend the night over there. Next morning, which is now 10th of the Hijjah, they make their way back to Mina. Alright? And this is known as Yawmun Nahr. The day of Nahr. What does Nahr mean? Slaughter. Alright? So that is the day when the Hujjaj will offer their sacrifice. Alright? Once they offer their sacrifice, the men can get into normal clothing. They can cut their nails and cut their hair. And they also have to do the tawaf. Alright? Tawaf ziyarah. But they also have to throw the stones. And then there is a yamut tashriq. A yamut tashriq are the 11th, 12th, and 13th of the hijjah where the hujjaj are supposed to stay in Mina. Okay? And during this time, every single day, the hujjaj are going to throw stones at shaitan. Remember the three pillars? Ramyul jimar. You have to do that. And then there is also the tawaf. So, this is basically a very brief summary of hajj. There's a lot of detail to it, which is not really of much relevance to us because we're not studying fiqh of hajj. Alright? If we were studying fiqh of hajj, I would tell you exactly the do's and don'ts, etc. But here, to understand these verses, we need to know the overall itinerary of hajj. Okay? So this is how hajj is supposed to be. So, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that فَإِذَا أَفَقْتُ مِنْ عَرَفَاتِ When you leave Arafat, then stop at Mash'ar al-Haram, at Muzdalifa, and remember Allah over there. And remember Him as Allah has commanded you to remember Him. Two very important things you should understand here. You see, dhikr is mentioned here. And what is dhikr? To remember Allah. And basically that is worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The best hajj, the best hajj, is the hajj in which there is a lot of dhikr. Any good deed is good when you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a lot in it. Whether it is salah or the recitation of the Qur'an or it is hajj. But typically what happens is that when people gather together, 
They start talking to each other. They forget Allah and they start talking to each other. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling people to remember Him at Muzdalifa. Secondly, we're told, وَذْكُرُوهُ كَمَا هَدَاكُمْ Don't invent your own ways of remembering Allah, of worshipping Allah. Remember and worship Him the way that He has instructed you. The way the Prophet ﷺ has taught you. And this is a very important principle we should learn. When it comes to worshipping Allah, we don't make up our own ways. We follow the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Also remember that the Quraysh, the people of Mecca, specifically the tribe of Quraysh, they used to consider themselves too great. They used to consider themselves better than the rest of the people. So what they would do is, at Hajj, they would not go to Arafat. Okay? Make sure you write this down. At Hajj, they wouldn't go to Arafat. They would just stop at Muzdalifa. Okay? They would just stay there. The rest of the people would go to Arafat, spend the day there, and then they would come to Muzdalifa. But the Quraysh would just stay at Muzdalifa. They wouldn't go to Arafat. Why? Because they would say, you know what? I mean, we're too good to go there. That's for the rest of the people. But what do we see here? Everyone is told to go to Arafat and then stop at Muzdalifa. What this means is that the commands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given are for who? Only for the poor? Only for the non-Arabs? No. At Hajj, everyone is equal. Right? At Hajj, everyone is equal. It doesn't matter which country you're from, which nationality you hold, how beloved you are to your family. Doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are or how ignorant you are, how wealthy you are or how poor you are. At Hajj, when it comes to men specifically, everyone is wearing the same thing. Isn't it? You can't tell who's a doctor, who's an engineer, who's a beggar, who's a who. You can't tell. Because everybody's wearing the same thing. Everybody's supposed to do the same rituals. So here we see a very important lesson that Hajj is the same for all people. The rich, poor, Arab, and non-Arab. ثُمَّ أَفِيضُوا مِنْ حَيْثُ أَفَاضَ النَّاسِ Then you go forth from where the people go forth. And remember أَفَاضَ فَيْضَان The pouring of water. That leave with the rest of the people. Go to Arafat, then stop at Muzdalifa. Then go with the rest of the people. Allah and seek forgiveness from Allah. In Allah Rahim, indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. Now you know when the Quraysh said we're not going to Arafat, right? And here we're told go there and seek forgiveness from Allah. What happens at Arafat? Does anybody know? What happens at Arafat? People are freed from hellfire. People are freed from hellfire on the day of Arafat, especially those who are standing at Arafat. So look at how shaitan works sometimes. He stops us from doing what is most important. He stops us from doing what is good for us. So Quraysh, in the name of their pride, they wouldn't go to Arafat. They were missing out on Allah's forgiveness. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ so, so far in these verses, we have learned about the rules of Hajj, the etiquette of Hajj, and specifically we are told to abstain from Rafat, Fusuq, and Jidal. The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever performs Hajj, 
during which he neither commits rafat nor fusuq, meaning he doesn't engage in any of these things that Allah has forbidden us from, then that person will return as sinless as a newborn child the day his mother gave birth to him. Think about a newborn baby. How many sins has a newborn baby committed? Zero, right? He's so innocent. He's so pure. And that's what makes babies so beautiful. That even if it's a stranger's child, you don't know the name of the baby. Sometimes you can't even tell the gender of the baby, right? You don't know if it's a boy or a girl. But they're so cute. Why are they so cute? Part of that cuteness is because of the fact that they are sinless. So if a person goes for hajj, and he doesn't commit any sin, and he comes home after hajj, completing the hajj, then he will be like the day he was born. As pure as the day he was born. Meaning hajj will be a means of forgiveness for all of his sins. So this is the benefit of staying within the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set for us. Then we see that we are told to go prepared for hajj. And whenever we go anywhere, it's best to be prepared for that trip, for that journey. And part of that preparation is physical. And part of that preparation is also spiritual, mental preparation. So before going for hajj, learn about hajj. Before going for hajj, learn the du'as, learn the dhikr that you're supposed to say. Then we see on page 84, we are told to do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at Mash'ad al-Haram. And I told you that Mash'ad al-Haram is Muzdalifa. Why is it called al-Mash'ad al-Haram? Mash'ad al-Haram is basically from the root letters, Shin Ain Ra, Mash'ab. And Sha'ur means awareness. Okay? So Mash'ab is a place that is well known. Okay? A place that is well known. And the reason why Muzdalifa is called Mash'ad al-Haram is because Muzdalifa marks the boundary of the Haram. On the one side of it, you know it's the Haram, and on the other side is the Hill. Okay? That's why it's called Mash'ad al-Haram, but it refers to the plane of Muzdalifa. By the way, what dhikr are we supposed to do at hajj? What kind of dhikr are people supposed to do at hajj? What kind of dhikr in general are the hujjah supposed to do? From the moment you put on your ihrab, what are you supposed to say out loud? Good. Labbaik Allahumma labbaik, right? And what is that called? The talbiyah. Talbiyah is to say labbaik Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika laka labbaik. Dhikr also includes Tahleel. And tahleel is to say, La ilaha illallah. Dhikr also includes dua. You make dua to Allah. And then you also do general dhikr. And we learned that at Muzdalifa specifically, the Prophet ﷺ, he did a lot of dhikr. After Fajr, he remained standing, facing the Qibla. And for a very long time, the Prophet ﷺ remained in dhikr. Okay? So, this is what Hajj is about, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمْ مَنَاسِكَكُمْ Then when you have completed all of your rituals, manasik is the plural of mansik or mansak. Okay, both are singular forms. And it refers to the rituals of Hajj. And remember that on the 10th of the Hijjah, there are several rituals such as the stoning, slaughter, men are supposed to shave or cut their hair, Women are also supposed to trim their hair. Then there is also tawaf, ziyara. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when you have completed all of these rituals, so which rituals are these? 
I just told you four. Which rituals are these? The rami, sacrifice, then trimming or shaving of the hair, and then there is also the tawaf. So when you have completed all of these rituals, what should you do? Fadkurullah. Then you should remember Allah. Because now, the hujaj are supposed to stay in Mina for three days. Okay, remember in Ayyamu Tashriq? Three days they're in Mina. What are you supposed to do in those three days? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Fadkurullah. Stay busy in remembering Allah. And how should you remember Allah? Kadhikrikum aba'akum. The same way as you remember your forefathers. أو أشد ذكرى or more intense in remembrance. Now you see before Islam also, remember that people did hajj. Before the Prophet ﷺ, people did hajj. Because hajj started when? From the time of which Prophet? Prophet Ibrahim ﷺ. So since that time, people did hajj. But when people would come for hajj, and this is before the Prophet ﷺ, when they would come to Mina, of course if they're staying there for three days, they got to have some fun, right? People want some fun. So what they did for fun is that they would have these poetry sessions. Because the Arabs, the only way in which they expressed their art was verbal expression. Okay? Poetry. Because they lived in the desert where you could not express yourself in the form of paintings. In the desert, what paints do you get? How could you make paints? They couldn't really express themselves through architecture. Because, I mean, what do you make in the desert? With what? They barely had enough material to build a Kaaba. So the only way that they expressed their art was through verbal expression. So at Mina, remember, so many people have come from all over Arabia, so then they would have these poetry sessions. So the best poets would come with their poetry, and typically what they would brag about, what they would talk about in their poetry, was what? Their ancestry. Because again, if you're saying poetry, what are you going to talk about? Camels? I mean, how much? What are you going to talk about? Sand? How much? Right? you got to talk about something through which you can show you're the best. So what would they do? They would boast about their ancestors. They would boast about their ancestors. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. You have so much time to talk about your forefathers. You know what? You should remember Allah like that now. And you know what? Allah Azza wa Jal deserves far more than your ancestors. So remember Allah more than you used to remember your forefathers. This is why we learn that the best thing to do in Mina, okay, the best thing to do in Mina is actually the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the days of tashriq are the days of eating and drinking. And the dhikr of Allah. Aklin wa shurbin wa dhikrillahi azza wa jal. So remain busy in the remembrance of Allah. This is so important because it is at Mina typically the fights break out. Really. At Mina, you know, you hear about stampedes at Mina, right? You hear about so much trouble at Mina. Why? Because people are not busy in the dhikr of Allah. They're sitting there waiting for the day to go by and the next day to come already. But they're actually supposed to do the dhikr of Allah. فَمِنَ nasi. But there are those among people, مَنْ who says, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا There are people who say, O oh, our Lord, give us in this world. When they go for hajj, they're at mina, 
They're making dua. What are they asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for? Only the things of this dunya. Can you tell me some things of this world that people really like? iPhones, okay. What else? Money, good. What else? Cars. You see, everybody has their own preferences, right? I mean, if I were to ask you, what are the five things that you really, really want? I want you to write them down actually. Five things that you really want. Like you'd be so happy if you got them. You'd be really happy if you got those five things. Okay, no talking. Just list those five things. And don't think too much. First five things that come to your mind. You want it so bad that you would actually make dua for it. You know, generally people don't make dua. But when they're desperate, then they start making dua. Okay, time up. Who would like to share? Okay, she says she wants a cat. Okay, somebody else. Acceptance into university. Mm. A good university. Right? Okay. A brother. MashaAllah. That's a good wish. Good grades in school. Alright. Yes? MashaAllah. So some of you actually did write Jannah, Jannatul Firdaus, going for Umrah, scholarship. Mm. Gotta become a good athlete then. Anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us something and pay attention to this, okay? Pay attention to this please, everybody. There are some people who go for hajj and they make dua. But when they make dua, they only ask for dunya. They only ask for things that they can enjoy in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about these people that وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ such a person will have no share in the hereafter. Why? Because he doesn't want the hereafter. He doesn't even think about the hereafter. He's not asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for good in the hereafter. Even at hajj, his main concern is the dunya. So for many people, when they go for hajj, for women, it's gold shopping. Really. They go for hajj, and their main concern is, I want to buy some good gold. You know, some jewelry, some bangles, some this, some that. So, instead of doing tawaf around the car, but they're doing tawaf of the shops. Really. Because that's their main concern. It sounds funny, but this is sad. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقِ But then, وَمِنْهُمْ But then there are other people, مَنْ يَقُولُهُ سَيْ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَا They say, Oh our Lord, give us good in this world. وَفِلْ آخِرَةِ hasana And also give us good in the hereafter. So yes, they go for hajj, they make dua for scholarship, they make dua for money, they make dua for health, for good grades, for the iPhone that they want, whatever it is that they desire, for a good husband or a good wife or whoever, good children, right? They ask for that, but that's not all they ask for. They also ask for good in the hereafter. What's good in the hereafter? What somebody said, Jannah. Jannatul Firdaus. They say, Ya Rabb, forgive us. They ask Allah for forgiveness. They ask Allah for His approval. They ask Allah to make them a good person. They ask for dunya and they ask for akhirah. And they also say, وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ Our Lord also save us from the punishment of the fire. Give us good here, give us good in the next life, 
and save us from the punishment of the hellfire. Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا Those people will have a share of what they have earned. Their efforts will pay off. Their journey was worth it. Whatever they spent, whatever steps they took, inshaAllah, they will get something out of it. What will they get out of it? Good in this world and good in the hereafter. Wallahu sari'ul hisab and Allah is swift in taking account. So what do we learn from these verses? Is it wrong to ask Allah for money? Is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. But it is wrong if you only ask for money. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give you money here and He can also give you eternal success in the hereafter. But why would you seek only the benefit of this world? Why should that be your ultimate concern? Because whatever you get here in this life, sooner or later, it's going to finish. Sooner or later, whatever power you have is going to come to an end. Sooner or later, whatever iPhone you get is going to be, is going to be old. Soon to be replaced by the next version. Isn't it? I mean, no matter what you get here, is never going to be good enough. So why ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only for this dunya? Ask Him for the akhirah also. This is what we learn from these verses. So think about it. Whenever you want something, think about it. Is this something that will help me, that will benefit me only in this life? Or is this something that will help me, that will benefit me in the hereafter also? I'm making dua every day, Oh Allah, I want to get into a good school, a good university. But then when it comes to Jannah, when it comes to the hereafter, how many times are we asking Allah, Ya Allah, I want to go to Jannah. Really, we should check our du'as. So ask Allah for both dunya and akhirah. Then the last verse here, وَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْدُودَاتٍ And remember Allah in the numbered days. Ma'dudat is again the plural of ma'duda, and ayyam is a plural of yawm. So remember Allah in the numbered days. And this is referring to the ayyamut tashriq. Okay, ayyamut tashriq, which is basically 11th, 12th, and 13th. And where are you supposed to spend these three days? Which place? Mina. So in Mina, again, remember Allah. فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ Then whoever hastens in two days. Ta'ajjala is from the root letters Ain Jim Lam. And ta'ajjul is to do something before its due time. To do something before its due time. So for example, you're supposed to be here at 9.45, but you reach here at 9.30. That's ta'ajjul. So, فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ يَوْمَيْنِ is a dual of يَوْم. فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ Then no sin at all is on him. What does it mean by this? What this means is that if a person leaves Mina after two days, it's okay. Technically, how long is the stay at Mina? Three days. But here the hujjaj are given the option. If you want to leave after two days, it's all good. No sin at all. وَمَنْ تَأَخَّرَ And whoever defers, delays, meaning until the third day, after three days he leaves, فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ Then no sin at all on him. Meaning both are good. You can leave after two days, you can leave after... Three days. Both options are there. But whatever you choose to do, لِمَنْ اتَّقَى Do it with taqwa. لِمَنْ This is for the person who اتَّقَى He fears Allah. So for example, if a person decides to 
leave after two days and says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of Hajj. Astaghfirullah. People actually leave Minal in that state. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're like, finally it's over. They're leaving without taqwa. That's not good. Or for example, a person says, you know what, I'm going to stay for three days. I'm going to stay here the whole time. And as he sees people leaving on the second day, he's like, how sad. Look at these people. They can't spare one more day for the sake of Allah. I'm so good. I'm actually staying here for all three days. Is that taqwa? Is that taqwa? No. So whether you choose to stay for two days or three days, do it with taqwa. And apply this rule to the rest of your life also. Sometimes we do have an option to do something or to not do it. Or you have the option of doing something one way or another way. Whatever you do, do it with taqwa. Whatever you choose, do it with taqwa. And taqwa includes that you don't start judging other people. It includes that you don't consider yourself to be superior. So لِمَنِ اتَّقَى وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And fear Allah. وَعْلَمُوا And you should know that أَنَّكُمْ إِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ That you are going to return to Him. You are going to be gathered before Him. تُحْشَرُونَ is from حَاشِنْ رَاء حَشْر Is to assemble, gather together. So all of you will be assembled before Allah. And if you think about it, at Hajj, how many people come for Hajj every year? How many? Millions. Right? Millions. I remember I watched a documentary a very long time ago and this person was trying to explain how many people are there for Hajj. And he said, think about Super Bowl. Hmm? Think about Super Bowl. Multiply that by like 10 times. Right? That's a lot of people. And he said, and think about it in a way that every single person who's at Super Bowl is not watching. They're actually participating in the game. Right? So can you imagine like all those people, think about all those numbers participating in the same activities. That's Hajj. Because every single person who's there for Hajj is participating in the rituals of Hajj. So, so many people at Hajj. And you see the word that's used earlier, afaba, afidu. That's the pouring of water. Every time I hear this word, it reminds me of like a waterfall. I mean, when you stand by Niagara Falls, for example, you know, you start wondering, okay, all this water is falling. When is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? Because you know, when you drain a tub full of water, a bathtub full of water, eventually the water finishes. Isn't it? But when you stand next to a waterfall, you just see it constantly falling, 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 so much water. And sometimes at Hajj, literally this is what you see. You can stand there for hours just watching people going and going and going and going. Especially around the Kaaba, Tawaf. It's non-stop, 24-7. And then you see so many people, different kinds of people. People you didn't even know existed in this world. People you didn't even know were Muslim, for example. People from so many different parts of the world. Hajj is a reminder. It's a glimpse of what is going to happen on the Day of Judgment. It's a glimpse of the Day of Judgment. How so? How so? First of all, the number of people. So many people. And on the Day of Judgment also, how many people will show up? All of humanity. 
every single human being. Secondly, we see that at Hajj, because everybody speaks a different language, sometimes you don't even know how to ask for water. Sometimes you don't even know how to negotiate with a taxi driver. Right? You don't even know how to say to somebody, may I sit here? Is somebody over here? You don't know how to communicate because everybody is, you know, talking a different language and that itself creates so much difficulty. Everyone seems selfish at Hajj. Sometimes it feels like that. Everybody is in their own world watching out for themselves only. On the day of judgment, literally everyone will be selfish. No one is going to care about you. In that massive crowd, you'll be alone. That's what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. Thirdly, when you think about Makkah, when you think about Mina, Arafat, at Muzdalifah, again, there's no tents. At Arafat, you're standing outside. I mean, it's hot there. Isn't it? It's very hot there, which is why you hear about people fainting. People fainting because of the heat. So, on the Day of Judgment also, is it going to be hot? Very, very hot. The sun is going to be brought very near and people will sweat so much that each person will be as if drowning in his sweat. For some people, their sweat will be up to their knees. Literally, like a pool of sweat gathering around them. For some people, it will be up to their shoulders. For some people, up to their chin. For some people, they'll be like gasping to breathe. They'll be almost drowning in their sweat. And the sweat refers to or it represents their sin. For some people, standing of the Day of Judgment is going to be very, very difficult. And for others, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it easy. Then another thing we see at Hajj is that in general, there is difficulty. People are hungry, they're tired, they're uncomfortable. Men are not really wearing comfortable clothing. They can't even wear running shoes. You have to walk so much, but you can only wear sandals. Right? It's so hot, you can't wear a hat. There is discomfort. And on the Day of Judgment also, there will be discomfort. So, Hajj should remind us of the hereafter. This is why when we go for Hajj, we should not forget to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for good in the hereafter. These are some lessons of Hajj. And you know at Muzdalifah, especially in the night when you see everybody just sleeping, lying down in the open. Honestly, if you were to go in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, it would feel as if you're walking through dead corpses. Because there's so many people sleeping. It feels like, oh, there's so many dead people here. Hajj teaches you about the reality of life. It teaches you about the hereafter. And this is why Hajj is so important. Now, we will listen to the recitation of these verses. Al-Hajj ashhum ma'lumat فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّ فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجَّ وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى وَاتَّقُونِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَبْتَغُوا فَضْلًا مِّن رَّبِّكُمْ 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.